The Telegraph today, Boris Johnson suffers huge rebellion as 99 Tory MPs vote against COVID passports. Um, but as we'll see, it wasn't enough because Labour, in good old-fashioned oppositional tradition, have decided to side with the government. Anyway, <laughs> Boris Johnson has suffered the biggest rebellion of his premiership against plans to introduce vaccine passports he's, with 99 uh, Conservatives voting against the measure. He's got 99 problems, but an opposition ain't one. Yes. MPs also voted to approve regulations to require NHS and social care staff to be vaccinated by April 2022 oh and to extend the face mask mandate. Uh, face masks having been scientifically proven. Uh, perhaps I should stop there because of YouTube's algorithm. Well, not ineffective. Can... Let's just say that the scientific efficacy of face masks, certain specific models of face masks which are commonly used, is debatable. Not that we're coming down on one side or another but it is objectively, according to the government's own studies, debatable. And I think that's as far as we can go on YouTube. <laughs> well, um, can we go so far as to point out the fact that at the very beginning of the pandemic, the government specifically said that they wouldn't be introducing mask mandates because... and dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we could also go as far, and... I think, as to say <laughs> that at least one major peer-reviewed study into the efficacy of face masks did not test face masks on a single live subject. And that was one of the studies on which the government based its advice. That's remarkable. Yeah. That's remarkable. Also, but unsurprising. Like, we're going to come on to hear about how the NHS is facing a crisis again, because it's another day, and so there must be another NHS crisis. The thing it mentions above there, about one, one of the things MPs voted on being to require NHS staff to be vaccinated, for instance, to impose a vaccine mandate on NHS staff, presumably, or else face the sack, that's that's not a good way of averting a crisis which is principally caused by a staffing shortage. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, studies have been... The government hasn't been known to do cost-benefit analyses at all throughout the COVID period. Well, when it does, they're but, all wrong. Um, the cost-benefit analyses that have been done on the effect of uh, compulsory um, uh, vaccines, um, vaccine mandates on NHS and social care workers have been shown to... Be catastrophic uh, it, it would not be good as you say for the for the shortage reasons um but moving on um the new measures passed the commons thanks to the support of labor but the prime minister's attempts to quell a rebellion on his own backbenches failed as a large number of his mps defied the whip to vote against him on the issue of the passes Sir Geoffrey Clifton Brown, treasurer of the 1922 committee, said a leadership challenge next year had got to be on the cards if the PM did not change his approach, while Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting, who we will come on to, uh, said Mr Johnson's authority was shattered, he which is curious is. given that Wes Streeting was voting uh, in favour of precisely uh, Mr Johnson's yeah. uh, proposals. I mean, as you say, we will come on to it. There was an argument to be made that actually that was a really savvy political move because it very effectively made Wes Streeting look like A, the actual health minister, and B, the most competent man in the room, the one who's actually providing leadership. There, there are many problems with what he said, and we'll come on to those, but as a piece of political theatre, it was actually a really savvy thing. Just on, on the point of the rebellion, though, um, so for the last two days, we've been hearing rumours of this rebellion. The numbers have been slowly ticking up. Guido Fawkes and the Spectator have been sort of keeping a live tab on the number of MPs thought to be voting against the government. They were coming out more and more and more of them. It got to the point where everyone thought it was really dramatic when it, you know, it was hovering around sort of the 69, 70 mark for a while, edging up high 70s and people started to say my god the conservative majority is only 80 boris could really lose his entire working majority on this then we had stories out earlier today late last night and earlier today saying that boris is going to hold an emergency meeting of the 1922 committee which is the 
committee which features all of the Conservative Party MPs is the one thing that really holds the Prime Minister accountable to his own backbenchers. He held this emergency talk with them to try and stem this talk of the rebellion. And at the time he held this speech, the rebellion was at around 73 MPs publicly coming out to say. The BBC and others reported that MPs who had said that they were going to vote against them came, came out of the meeting white-faced, in shock, because Chris Whitty had given one of his famous speeches. And apparently this had been sufficient to quell not all of the rebellion, but large parts of the rebellion. Then the vote happened. And not only did it fail to quell the rebellion, the rebellion, the scale of the rebellion actually increased from the low 70s to 99. So he's more than lost his working majority. Despite all the press briefing his government put out about he's taking, he's taking you know, the lead on this, he's going to convince his MPs, they'll all come back on side. His direct speech to his MPs, which is supposed to reassure them, led to more of them jumping ship. Which is, it sounds to me like your modelling is more accurate than the government's in this conjecture. <laughs> well, apparently, yes. and But the, it goes to West Streeting's point. Boris Johnson has lost almost a third of his parliamentary parties. What, 360, I think, something Conservative MPs? I think it's about that figure. Um, he's lost 99 of them. So that's not too far short of a third of them in total. More than his working majority. It's all right on this issue because the Labour Party has been backing the government all the way, like all good oppositions should. But when it comes to any other issue, if Boris Johnson's authority is now permanently shattered, unless he can do, get a third of his party back on side, and it's really hard to see how he will do this without a major change in policy, which will be really embarrassing because he's just had forced it through Parliament with the help of the opposition, then the next time the government faces a contentious issue, he has lost his majority. He will not be able to get mm -hmm. anything done. He is a lame duck at this point, and the only, there are two ways out of it. He has to do something drastic to get his MPs back on side, which will involve a complete vault face, which will be incredibly embarrassing and further undermine his authority with the nation, or he will have to be removed. And it's very likely, if the scale of this revolt is, is lingering, if it's not just on this one issue, people sort of trying to play the public gallery, but if it's a lingering thing, a third of the parliamentary party voting against you on a major issue, one of the foremost policy agendas you have, is a sure sign that any 1922 committee ballot on no confidence will pass, and it will go to a vote at that point. Oh, so, yes, yes. Prime Ministers have, have been defenestrated for less than this. Yeah. Never underestimate um, the cowardice of the Conservative Party, though. I mean, they'll probably find a way to muddle on with him for a little bit longer, but it, it is looking significantly more likely than it did. So the basics of Plan B, the legislation that's been passed, is uh, people will need to show proof of two jabs or a negative lateral flow test in order to enter nightclubs and large venues from 6am uh, this Wednesday, that's today. Um, is it today? Are they talking uh, about this it will be I by the time are. we go up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sajid Javid, the health secretary, confirmed on Monday that once all adults have been offered the chance to get a booster jab, three doses will be required for a valid NHS <laughs> COVID pass. So you're fully vaccinated also... until the government changes the definition, and then you're not. This is yeah, not, this well, is I've, not I've... health policy. This is just propaganda. Yeah, I, it, exactly. Uh, MPs also voted to approve regulations to require NHS and social care staff to be vaccinated by April 2022 and to extend the face, bar, face mask mandate, as we've already said. Um, so you can guarantee yeah, they keep, if you they keep changing the um, definition of, of fully vaccinated. And, and I, I don't I don't wish to overplay my hand here, but it, it it is a bit like, you know, the old Soviet tactic of saying, oh, well, that never happened. No, it, it, it's it's Oceana, it's Winston, it's Winston Smith all over again, isn't it? That never happened. It was always this way. It was always thus. Yeah, it, well, the communist, the old communist slogan used to be something along the lines of "He may be factually right, but he's objectively wrong." 
And yeah, or as um, AOC, <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Tez would say, what did she say? Um, it's, I think I, some I, people are more concerned important. with being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than they are with being morally right. I think yeah. that's a word-for-word yes, word quote. Yes, yes. Um, is, um, well remembered. Well, you can't, it's hard not to remember something so gobsmackingly dumb. Well, I, I presumably forgot it for the same reason. I, I didn't want to pollute my brain she, with it. She but, is the uh, classic person who you'd really like to have in the room as long as they kept their mouth shut. Ornamental. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd want to have her in the room. Oh, I don't know. She makes a reasonable ornament. Um, but, <laughs> no, you can, you can guarantee as a result of this measure that you will have talk of staffing shortages in the NHS even more so than we have every year anyway because of this vaccine requirement. I've heard a few different things put out on Twitter defending this policy from past and current conservative MPs. So George Osborne, for instance, took to Twitter and um, he said that the vote, I think it was George Osborne who said this, he said it was not a vote about vaccine passports. Um, it was a lie to say that it is a vote about vaccine passports. All it's a vote about is whether to require two jabs or whether you are exempt from this requirement if you can show your NHS COVID pass, which, call me dumb, but that sounds to me like a vaccine passport. I'm really on. I'm really hazy on the distinction between you are exempt if you can show an NHS COVID pass and you are exempt if you can show a vaccine pass. But what's the difference? You have to have a vaccine to get an NHS COVID pass. It's a distinction without a difference. <laughs> I'm not sure it's even a distinction. It's, it's just <laughs> it's just rewording it. As long as you put the word NHS in front of the thing, the thing immediately becomes not bad. Yeah, well, invoke if if you just have to invoke those three letters, invoke that acronym in, in almost any context in British society today, and it is like invoking the the, the Nicene Creed or yeah. something of old. They did know, it with it, test it, and trace. Test and trace was called test and trace until everyone thought it was shit, and then they called it the NHS test and trace. Didn't work, obviously, but because no, test well, and trace is still massive. As we've seen recently, the NHS website for booking booster jabs has been crashing basically daily. Um, but it, it's just as oh, it's, they're trying to get a, a, a run on them. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I'm sure we can we can come on to, to a few more people who are saying ridiculous things yes. and respond to them. But should we go? There's a little list somewhere of these Conservative MPs, isn't so there? Here's so the list of the full MPs 99 against of the vaccine passports. So we don't need to read all of them because most of them, to be honest, they're Conservative backbenchers and no one in their right mind would have heard of them. But some of them. I mean, I have an of. urge to read all of them because it would make me feel like I was reading a list of the bereaved or something. <laughs> Oh, the spectator called it a roll of honour, which um, is a nice got, double meaning um, to it. Peter Bone, Steve, um, Steve Baker, who we're coming on to, Sean Bailey was at the top, Karen Bradley, who was a former government minister, so Graham Brady is chairman Brady, of the 1922 committee. So he's yeah. an important chap. Um, Christopher um, Chope is, is famously... <laughs> just shows uh, how much he was swayed. Good old Tory um, there with Sir Jeffrey Clifton Brown. That's a proper conservative name. Oh, yes. Philip Sir Davies, Smith, David Richard Davis. Dratz pretty good. David Davis has always been quite good um, in civil liberties. Ian Duncan he's Smith. very good in civil liberties. Tobias Elwood, another former cabinet minister. Liam Fox, another former cabinet minister. Richard Fuller, who was, used to be an MP of mine. I worked for him for a little bit. Chris Grayling, another former cabinet minister. Damien Green, another former cabinet minister. Mark Harper, I think, was in the cabinet quite recently. Um, Simon Jupp has been a, a junior minister, I think. So Greg Knight is, a, again, high, and Angela, Andrea Leadsom was on the front bench Ledson, a few yeah. months ago. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, this um, is not just, the, one of the things that, that people were speculating about when we were talking about this, the scale, the potential scale of this rebellion is whether it would go to the salaried stuff, because MPs all get a salary for working as MPs, obviously, but certain MPs get an extra additional salary if they are working directly for the government, for government departments for Number 10, for instance, and they're traditionally much, much more loyal to Number 10, precisely because Number 10 pays them. So if it's extending to salaried members of parliament, and I think some of these people still are, 
then you know that the scale of the rebellion is pretty bad and it's actually it's not an act of disloyalty by disgruntled backbenchers no this is a major ideological split fault line in the conservative party and the number of former well, cabinet i was going to say that's uh, one of the encouraging things um mildly encouraging really give me comparatively uh, about this rebellion is that it does seem to suggest that there is just enough of a core of um tory mps who still believe in liberty who still actually think this stuff is important who still aren't willing to you know kick the can down the road uh, and and just not care about these things yeah or um, at least proof that they're the real these are the real tories these are the real liberals i suppose i should say these people here evan Everyone davis else, um, on radio list. 4 earlier today called the rebelling faction of the conservative party extremist libertarians this is evan davis who is a bbc presenter on a flagship Radio 4 programme, said that a third of the Conservative Party, including people like Damien Green, who are, who are wets, as Margaret Thatcher would call them, or Heathites, as sensible other people would call them, they are extremist libertarians because they don't want vaccine passports. Oh dear, yes. From the, I, from the chairman, from the presenter of a BBC flagship programme. I'm writing an essay at the moment about, uh, which will go up on the channel for people who want to listen to it, about um, how uh, true liberals in this country are basically entirely political, politically homeless at the moment, because um, obviously neither the Conservative Party nor Labour are particularly um, you know, sympathetic to their views, and it's not like there are any alternative no. parties that are either. The SDP example it might sort of it's got the patriotism on board and it's, it's got all of that immigration it's good on that but it's not liberal it's not it's not no, economically I mean, liberal I would like this stuff the sdp to overtake the labor party but i would never vote for the sdp i would vote against mm. them as much as i possibly could because i think they're wrong but they're at least yeah. wrong in the right way unlike the labor well, party one of the, wrong in the wrong way one of the points i make in the essay just very briefly before moving on is that um it just what you said Chris Evans did is the conflation of people who identify and are proud to be liberals, that is, stand up for liberty and care about liberty. Um, they're conflated with extremists or libertarians, which is a dirty word for us because we associate it with gun toting Texans. But anyway, uh, you've got Esther yeah. McVeigh, yeah, um, another well known Tory party figure. Uh, there's a few, there's quite a few sirs in here again, which is John Redwood. John Redwood, I like John Redwood, he's kooky, but he's yeah, he's, quite he's good. not too bad. Um, there's a few. Tom Tom Tuganat has been very impressive. Yeah. Theresa Villiers, another form recent Conservative Party cabinet member. Um, well, that's the lot. I think I, I lost track. I think we're getting to double digits of recent ex cabinet ministers voting against it here, and also people who are widely deemed to be the sort of the talent on the backbenches, like Tom Tuganat and Esther Esther McVeigh, who again is a former cabinet minister. Um, so it's he's yeah this is in he's in trouble. Labour have apparently said that they wanted to put the national interest before public health. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that squares with their rhetoric over the last two years, but uh, okay. I would have thought the national interest was you know rather inextricably bound up with public health. The fact that um, you know more people right now are dying in car crashes every day than of COVID. Uh, more people are dying of cancer, which they've have not been screened or tested for because the nhs has become the, the covid hs um yeah, and so on and so forth i mean this stuff matters people are dying of other things in large numbers i mean carol professor carol sakura has been really good on this from the beginning and he he thinks it's one of the basically the biggest scandals that he's ever seen in his career um i hope that any inquiry that and there will be an inquiry presumably that comes out about the 
government's COVID response will bring their stuff up. Well, it should. The problem with that, of course, is that it will probably be a parliamentary inquiry. It should be an independent one, but it will probably be a parliamentary inquiry. If it's a parliamentary inquiry, it will be staffed almost solely of people who voted for these measures, which means you won't get any kind of objective analysis of whether they were right or wrong, because it would impugn the, the judgment of the committee members, or the inquiry members, if it were so proven. I hope it's an independent inquiry. There's certainly cause to suspect that, that they, could, they at least should be one, they even could be one. Um, but also, it's worth remembering that these measures are being brought in. I mean, you talk about deaths from other things, and yeah, you're right. At the moment, there are lots of things killing many more people already than coronavirus nowadays is. And that's without taking into account the long-term health consequences from which many more people will die. But this, these measures are being introduced in response to the Omicron variant because yes. it spreads much more virulently, and that apparently is a problem. Nicola Sturgeon estimates that uh, if not by today, then by tomorrow, the majority of new coronavirus cases in Scotland, for instance, will be the Omicron variant. But when Dominic Raab went on television, uh, I think earlier on Tuesday, may have been late on Monday, and he was asked how many people had, were in hospital with this, uh, he said 250 people, which is untrue. And he was forced to admit it was untrue because when questioned on this point, he admitted it was in fact 10. 10 people are in hospital, not died. Boris Johnson has said one, at least one person has died with, which is not died of. But in res that is the thing we are responding to now. This is not generalized coronavirus measures. This is specifically framed in the context of our response to Omicron. And From which, given what you've just said and the data suggests that we know of, zero people have died. Well, the, the, first, the first study has been done on it in South Africa, which found that it was 22% less... 29. 29 even percent. I, I, I underestimated. 29% less uh, deadly to the unvaccinated, I think it was, than um, standard issue coronavirus is. And if you're fully, if you're double vaccinated, you're fine. And being triple vaccinated Basically, doesn't stop yeah. the spread. So it's not a measure to stop the spread. Nevertheless, you're encouraged to get three. I, fine, if you want three, get three. But you have no right to compel other people to get three if they're not in an at-risk age group because they're not having three. It's not putting anybody else at risk. There's no externality to anybody who has two jabs because the people who only have exactly. two jabs are not going to be in hospital. Very, so they're un highly unlikely to be in hospital with this. So they're not going to overburden the NHS. They're not posing a threat to anybody else. They're not going to break the system. It makes no sense to impose three jabs as a qualification for being fully vaccinated. In response to, to, to a variant we were told at the beginning was dangerous precisely because it would evade vaccines, which it turns out it, it doesn't really anyway. Well, it's, we were told that the vaccines would spell an end to all restrictions, yeah. and they didn't. And they didn't. Also, one final thing on this. Um, obviously, this we're told that all of this is necessary because of the Omicron variant. It's, it's essential to stop the spread of the Omicron variant. Guess which country has just been bought off the travel red list? South Africa? Yes. <laughs> so, at okay, the time then. when we're imposing more restrictions on our domestic population, we are relaxing travel from the country in which Omicron originated. And this is joined up government policy, supported by the opposition. Living yeah. in fantasy land. We are, we are. Well, my God. Shall we move on then yes. to. Um, we've got a picture of Steve Baker here, and uh, it's worth watching his. Um, he was reaction. doorstepped, he was sort of, wasn't he? Yeah, he was doorstepped, and what he said is only very short. Um, basically, summarise does a good job of summarising, you know, why everyone voted against him. So here we are. Mr. Baker, why are you opposed to the new restrictions, the Plan B restrictions? Well, absolutely essential now that we create the kind of society that's worth living in. 
I'm determined that that does not mean living under minute and frequently changing rules, and that's why I'll be voting against extending mask mandates, I'll be voting against vaccine passports, and I'll be voting against mandatory vaccination as a condition of employment in the NHS. But are you worried, not worried about the data from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine saying that we could see tens of thousands of deaths if we don't have these restrictions? Well, let's be really clear what they've published. They've published modelling, and I've had a lot to say about the models. Unfortunately, they're very often based on assumptions which are wrong and pessimistic. And if people go to the Spectator's data website, they can see very clearly that these models, time and again, are far, far too pessimistic and wrong, but the costs on people's lives are very, very real. What's your concern? Is that Plan B is only the start? There could be future lockdowns? Well, we're already seeing that rumour, and this happens time and again. We get drawn into these things bit by bit with shifting goalposts, and that just won't do for the British people. Pretty based. Yeah, Boris, it should be, we should point out, has refused to rule out the prospect of further lockdowns. I think Sajid Javid, when asked, also refused to rule out the prospect of further lockdowns. He's completely right about the modelling. I don't think there's been a single coronavirus model which has been, which is the results of which have been within the same orbit as the actual results as they turned out. Most famously, Neil Ferguson's models, which well, were I was just, just about to bring him up. Staggering one of the wrong. people that have um, come up recently yeah. and, and, and said that you know, all these thousands upon thousands of people will die and the NHS will be overwhelmed. I'd, why anybody, um, you know, calls him on and, and interviews him about this stuff anymore, let alone takes him seriously, is beyond me. And it's not just a one-off either, not only because he did multiple coronavirus models and all of them were spectacularly wrong. Famously, the model he used at uh, Edinburgh University, I think it was, attempted to rerun that model, and they found it produced drastically different results depending on which computer you ran it on. Because the computer software he was using or something like that was, was well, dreadfully... The model was incredibly old. And it was I think that model was based on a previous modelling work he'd done for either SARS or foot and mouth, both of which he was brought into model, both of which he overestimated the impact of, not by a factor of 10, not by a factor of 100, but by a factor into the thousands. He said SARS could kill something like a million people and it killed 10 in this country. Foot and mouth disease on which we wrecked agriculture in this country, exterminating tens of millions, if not a couple of billion animals, which he said, you know, if we leave this unchecked, it will kill hundreds of millions of people, killed about five. So it's not yep. that he's minorly wrong, or wrong once or twice. It's that he is majorly wrong every single time he is asked to make a forecast. And unfortunately, it's not restricted to coronavirus. Modelling in general is terrible. Modelling gives science a bad name. Predictive modelling doesn't predict anything all it, because it is entirely dependent, A, on the type of model you're running, and B, on the assumptions you put into it, which in requires you to have much more complete knowledge than you have in a fast-developing situation, which is why every time you see a major news story now, I mean, inflation, for instance, I did a video on that yesterday, inflation somehow you know, beat even the most pessimistic predictions of economists' models, well, no one was surprised as soon as they read the word models that the models got it wrong, because they <laughs> always fucking do. You sound like Malcolm from Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park, talking about chaos theory and the, the ludicrousness of trying to predict the weather. Honestly, <laughs> for so much of the problem with modern science, Michael Crichton is genuinely a fascinating and prescient read. Not just his fiction, oh, yes. but his non-fiction as well. Speeches on YouTube, look them all up on climate change, exactly the same thing. So much of our climate change forecast is based on predictive modelling, and so many of the assumptions that that leads to are wild and wrong, and that's what we're basing policy on. Same thing with coronavirus, to come back to the topic. We are we are slaves to this weird sort of new model army, 
and everything they do is wrong and there is no reason we should continue to take them seriously but the government is a slave to the data it is a slave to what it thinks of as the science and so this is the situation we end up in because our, our politicians are scientifically are... illiterate yeah and the, the scientists at this point you know people like chris witty are, are slaves to the government as well yeah to an, to an extent that that's absolutely true because a large part of their job depends on saying things that don't embarrass the government um but that they're as reliably wrong as the independent sages, and the independent sages famously packed full of nutters. So we are screwed. But um, <laughs> we're, we're streeting, well, we, we mentioned earlier, didn't we? Um, we're streeting, yes. So th this, are. just so... before you hit play, uh, th th the reason I, I thought we should play this is because I, I mentioned it was very canny political theatre of him earlier to, to take the stance he was taking in support of the government and chastising Conservative Party backbenchers, because whether you agree with him or not, and you shouldn't agree with him because he is flatly wrong and everything he says, it, it contradicts itself within the first five words. Nevertheless, he is presenting quite effectively as the grown-up in the room, as the person in command of the situation. The government is in disarray. He is taking charge. And I think this was completely wrong but also a very effective performance which i think is one also for, because he was wrong we should go through that anyway but worth watching just because of, of those principal reasons i thought but what is indisputable is that the booster does provide greater protection yeah. than the first and second jab yeah. that vaccination full stop provides better protection and that if we're talking about NHS pressures and workforce pressures, the biggest danger is that the virus sweeps through the health and social care workforce, knocks a load of people out in the middle of the busiest period for the NHS, and then the system topples over. I don't know why it has to be explained again and again and again to members opposite that the objective here is to protect the NHS and to stop it from toppling over at a critical time. So these points about the severity of the virus or the efficacy of the vaccine in preventing transmission or serious illness are largely secondary points you've just made. We know the virus is spreading, we know it is spreading rapidly, and we know that if it rips through the health and social care workforce, that is the biggest risk to the NHS, that is what is going to topple it over, and their constituents will not thank them one bit if they allow that to happen. Okay, so just to recap quickly, if I may, um, <laughs> um, the vaccines are very, very effective, um, but if we matter. don't do what... Boris Johnson is asking us to do uh, the vaccine will rip through the NHS and kill it. Or, or, I, what? Yeah, I mean, a compelling double or triple vaccination status on NHS workers, a large number of whom, I think even a plurality of NHS workers are from minority communities. Minority communities have a higher incidence of health problems which prevent them getting vaccinated in the first place. They also have a much higher percentage of vaccine hesitancy. Something like 80% of the unvaccinated in this country now come from ethnic minority populations. So if you are imposing your vaccine mandate on these people, whether for health reasons or for ideological reasons or because they don't trust the science or they don't trust the government, who the hell could doubt them for that? Um, they will leave one way or another. So rather than risking the, the potential uh, wiping out of half the NHS workforce, you are effectuating the potential wipeout of half the NHS workforce. In the second place, we already know that the Omicron variant is much more virulent, but we also know that it is much less deadly. It is much less serious if you get it, especially if you are vaccinated, and about half to two-thirds of the NHS pop, uh, workforce will be already doubly vaccinated, at least at least double vaccinated. They are priority for boosters as well. Um, if the NHS Just does not quickly, collapse, if I may, we're about to come on to... Keir Starmer here, uh, here, um, who who flat out denies what you've just said that that 
that we know anything about Omicron. Well, and he's um, a moron, but, but we'll, we'll just, moron. just we'll to, come to, on to, that, to yes. finish the point. Um, so we already know that Omicron is more virulent, but significantly less deadly and even more significantly less deadly for people who are vaccinated, doubly vaccinated or, or otherwise. And if that weren't the case, there would be no argument for compelling booster shots anyway. So that argument requires that the vaccine is effective at, at lowering the mortality rate, which, which is low anyway. Um, if, if, if that is the case, and the NHS then, it must be remembered, did not topple last winter. Uh, no, the winter before was the first outbreak. March 2020 was when the first outbreak. That was when it was the first strain, when we knew nothing about it, when we had no vaccines, when we were not prepared for it, when we had not spent anything like the amount of money to make ourselves prepared for it. Despite all of these handicaps, the NHS was not toppled then, and huge ah, amounts of resource but the, but were put the lockdown, up. they will say. Yeah, but the lockdown, no, but we were told at the time that the NHS was, you know, the NHS spent hundreds of millions on PPE that didn't work. It spent hundreds of billions building Nightingale hospitals that were never used. It complained of bed shortages because it removed half of the beds to comply with social distancing lockdown measures. Lockdown actually, a lockdown and broader social distancing measures actually made NH, it reduced NHS capacity, which is why we, one of the reasons we got so much, so many scare stories about the, the capacity crunch in the NHS. Nevertheless, the Nightingales weren't used. If you're trying to tell me, or if he's trying to tell me that now we have a less deadly version and we are fully vaccinated, and the NHS has been given tens of billions of pounds extra to spend on preparedness, that the NHS now might topple when it didn't against a worse version of the vaccine we weren't prepared for, that is not a tenable argument at all. In any conceivable way. Well, I completely agree. Um... Moving on to Keir Starmer. Yeah, so this was his address to the nation, wasn't it? Which was yesterday or the day before? Does it say below? And I know it's a couple of days ago, but I don't remember. Yes, and he's got the, I think it was yesterday, he's got the obligatory flag here. He's got pictures of him and his family. I think that's him. I mean, it looks like a spade. So it's probably. Well, in this him. case, he's probably hired children. Yeah, he's got his he's got his books here. He I suppose flag, we should zoom in and see what he's reading. The flag's going to really irritate a large part of his base, which is fun. Yep, yep. There's a lot of little uh, red books on the shelf. <laughs> Here we are. This Christmas, once again, we're at a critical moment in our fight against COVID. The new variant, Omicron, is spreading fast. And the argument that we don't know enough about it doesn't stack yes, up. Yes, it does. We may not be certain how dangerous it is, but we do know that lives are at risk. And again, our NHS is at risk of being... Mm, no, it's not really. If that happens, more people will die. If that happens. They will die. Everything we can to protect the NHS. Oh. The scientists are clear. Our best defence is the booster jab. Yep. The vaccine is safe and effective. Okay. You just said we didn't know anything about it. That's why Labour supports the government's plan to get every adult boosted by the end of the month. And personally, I want to urge every one of you Oh, he's doing the sincere voice. Or go to a walk yeah, not that you can tell. But I can't book, book an appointment, Mr. Starmer. The website's crashed. To vaccinate children over 12. Why? Stop the spread in schools. There isn't what? No. So that's him. There is no so evidence for we... a major spread in schools. Almost, in fact, no children under the age of 12 have died. And if you include pre-existing conditions, about 12 children in total in the whole country have died. Oh, please shut him up. Um, <laughs> it's, not at, it's not at risk of spreading in schools. 
because the school reopening, as has happened not just in this country, but in the United States and across Europe, has not led to an appreciable increase in coronavirus transmission. Children are not at risk from the virus. They are the least threat. It's something, the death rate for children, uh, even with pre-existing conditions of coronavirus, is something like 0.01%. There is no justification for vaccinating children at the age of 12. There is no need to do it. Do it if you want to, fine. But there's no justification for compelling it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think even Witty and that lot have said that, have they? No, I, I, that advice changes every day. I've stopped keeping track of it now. If they have said it, they're wrong. There's no justification for it whatsoever. He, but he again, Stalmer's, saying, um, sorry. Stalmer's doing exactly what West Streeting is doing. The second half of his argument, do you know in like um, old debating, uh, you know, debate debate practice, you know, debate clubs and so on, Oxford Uni and Cambridge Uni and that kind of thing, you, it's common practice to stand up and sort of give the viewpoint that you really don't believe in, but it's good practice to do it anyway because it gives you, kind of, you know, understanding of how debates work. It's like that's going on, but they're forgetting where they actually stand or, or something like that. And both Keir and Wes, the first half of their arguments flatly contradict the second half of their arguments. They, Keir Starmer does it the reverse way, though. He says, um, we, we don't know enough about Omicron to know how deadly it is, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the second half, he says, but what we do know, sincere voice coming <laughs> up here, strong, strong message here, strong as Robin message, would say. Yeah. What we do know is that the vaccines are really, really effective. Okay, then, there's your... That's, Listen to yourself. That's Listen the thing we didn't know about it when it first emerged. It's easier to tell whether it's deadly than it is to tell whether the vaccine is effective against it, which is why we knew that it was much less deadly before we knew that the vaccines were or weren't effective against it, because we were told at the beginning when Omicron was first identified, well, it might have a higher success rate at dodging the virus, at dodging the vaccine, sorry. Um, okay, but we found out much more quickly after that that its death rate was a fraction of the original death rate, even amongst the unvaccinated population so it can only get better if you're vaccinated fine but there's no yeah that you say it flatly contradicts itself we don't know enough but what we do know is this incredibly important thing about it which justifies my policy preference that that's not an argument that defeats itself oh dear well he is a lawyer after all oh but he's so massively incompetent i mean also the, the one thing that the conservatives can sort of take from this is that still, still, no matter how how much of a shambles they are in, and the leader of the opposition is still Keir Starmer. Because he, that was a minute long, minute five seconds, was it? Of a, I think it was a, a full ten minute address to the nation. And I was bored to tears by, after a minute of it. He, he is... Well, I, I made just... the mistake of reading that basically book he published uh, a couple oh my of months God. ago. You were about the only person who did. I want. I know. I, I was sort of out of a morbid, masochistic fascination with what it might be like because I have an interest in, you know, literature and prose style. And I thought, let's see how bad this really is. And honestly, I wanted to kill myself after the first sentence. The Spectator, I think, published the full text of it, and then to, in the, the second third, they put a link, which if you followed it, the first person to follow it would give you. You would get a free bottle of champagne, really expensive champagne, and it took four days before someone found it. <laughs> Like no one read it. <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a really ca canny way of just demonstrating just how tedious and dull this man is. So yeah, well, for treating... an example, he would say at one point we're at a crossroads, and then a few bit, a few minutes later, he would say we're at a fork in our future. Not the same thing. <laughs> he's, he's, he is just, he is a charisma vacuum. 
He, he sucks all life out of whatever room he is in. Where streeting was wrong and silly, and he contradicted himself within the space of two minutes, but at least he had a bit of authority, at least he had a bit of personality, at least he's quite a competent speaker, he doesn't have a voice that sounds like he's just swallowed a toilet plunger. Um, it's... oh my god. It's the, the, if the Conservatives escape this at all, it will only be because Keir Starmer is such an ineffective leader of the opposition that people just turn out whenever the, he turns on. But... Yes, it would be nice to have an opposition that opposed. I'll give you that. Yes, but we're in fantasy upside down through the looking glass world now, where the government enjoys the greatest support on the opposition benches. Jesus.